Well, good morning, everybody. As Gary uh, mentioned, we're in the midst of this series called Rhythm. And, uh, and he, as he mentioned, I get to talk about reading scripture um, as today's topic. And so in preparation for today, I remember one of my favorite messages here at Summit. It was a number of years ago. And on this particular morning, uh, Isaac asked this question. He said, what's one regular habit that if you were to develop this habit here in the near future would help you the most, not just in the near future, but five years from now? What one regular habit that if you could develop that now, five years from now, would have the greatest impact in the formation of your character? I thought that was a great question. Not necessarily a week from now or a month from now or even a year from now, but five years from now, what would help you the most? Well, for me, the default answer is always go on a diet and, uh, and start working out. Uh, but I thought a little bit deeper about that, and I stuck with the question, and, and I just knew the answer. For me, it's not only been the last five years, but really now going on 40 years of being able to reflect on the scriptures. Um, and it's just something I never get tired of, coming back to it time and time again. Research has shown that yes, uh, this is something they actually study, that daily reflection on the scriptures is the single greatest thing that we can do as followers of Christ to help us grow as Christians. This is what research is telling us. It's the single greatest thing, the most transformational thing that you and I can do is to study the scriptures. So when I ask people as a pastor, hey, how's it going? And your time with the word, I remember my business law book. It was a big old book about this thick. And it was a maroon hardcover book with gold embossed letters. I can still see the thing. And this was 1979. And, uh, and so this particular evening's assignment was to read chapter five, six, and seven. So I opened up to chapter five, and there were five words in the beginning of the chapter. And I couldn't understand one of them. I had to pull out my dictionary. This is before you had, you know, your computer, before you could call up Webster's Dictionary, and I had to thumb through the dictionary, look up all five words, and then try to comprehend what this all meant. It took me about 25 minutes just to understand the title of the chapter. Yeah, needless to say, it was a long night. I get what it's like to be intimidated by a book. Here, here's a thought that can help you when it relates to Scripture. This is the one that has helped me. When it comes to scripture, don't see it so much as time reading a book, as time with the person of the book, and that's Jesus. Don't see it as time with literature. See it as time with the person of the book, the person about whom the book talks about and introduces us to. It's a relationship with him. Now, this isn't just a catchy phrase to motivate you. This is actually what the Bible teaches. And so I want you to go on a journey with me this morning, and I want you to see from the scriptures themselves this idea that God reveals himself to us in the scriptures and through the person of Jesus. So to understand this, that time with the Bible is really time with Jesus, we've got to ask the question, how does the God of the universe, the God who created heavens and earth, how does he, this all-powerful God, choose to reveal himself to you and to me? Another way of putting this is, how does God reveal his authority to all of us? So as a backdrop, I want you to go back to the series we did on the glory of God. And from this series, we're, we're reminded that God in his person is so perfect and pure and holy 
that we can't look upon him, it says in the scriptures, and live. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, God dwells in unapproachable, marvelous light that no one has seen and no one can see. This light in the Hebrew is referred to as the Shekinah glory of God. It's God in his perfect dwelling just emanates radiance and glory and light. And no person, because of our imperfection, can stand before the fullness of God's glory. So that presents a problem, doesn't it? Because this God who loves us with an unimaginable love and who wants to be in relationship with us, we can't comprehend him. And so he resolves this by revealing himself to us and revealing his glory to us. And there are three ways that he does that according to the scriptures. And that's where I want us to look first at Psalm 19. In this psalm, we actually see two of the ways of the three ways that God reveals himself to us. And so let's go ahead and read that. Um, put on my glasses here. Psalm 19, you can look at it in your Bible or uh, you can see it up on the screen. Listen to what the psalmist says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from its pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. This is God's word. So here in the first part of Psalm 19, we see one of the ways God has chosen to reveal himself. Did you catch it? It's through nature. I mean, the psalmist, I love what he says. It says, day after day, it's pouring forth speech. There's no place you can go in creation where its voice is not heard. In other words, the heavens are screaming at us about the beauty and the glory of God. In his book, The God of Stones and Spiders, it's really an interesting book by Chuck Colson. He tells the story of Nian Cheng. And Nian Cheng was in communist China when the Revolutionary Guard was taking over. And they came first for professors and for business people to arrest them. And Nian Cheng, being a businesswoman in Shanghai, was arrested, convicted of being an imperialist spy of the state, and was sentenced to prison. And there in her small, dank cell, very dirty mattress, dirty walls, one light bulb that hung from the ceiling that burned 24-7, there in these just absolutely harsh conditions, she tells the story of one day as she was looking out the bars of her window that a small pea-sized spider climbed to the top of the window and it spun a thread and connected to the bottom bar. And then it would continue to spread out and to uh, weave its web through the um, just intricate beauty of doing its work, the thing it was created for. And she sat in amazement as she was watching this, this unbelievable architectural feat being performed by this little tiny pea-sized spider. And here's what she wrote. I had just watched an architectural feat by an extremely skilled artist. My mind was full of questions. Who had taught the spider to make a web? 
could have really acquired the skill through evolution? Or did God create the spider and endow it with the ability to make a web so it could catch food and perpetuate its species? I knew I had just witnessed something that was extraordinarily beautiful and uplifting. So then and there, I thanked God for what I had just seen because it helped me to see that in my circumstances, he was real and he was in control. I love that story. Perhaps you've experienced something similar. Perhaps it was just a walk along the beach, a sunrise or a sunset, or walking out in the middle of the night and gazing up at the stars and their beauty. Perhaps it's the time out, the first time you saw the Rocky Mountains and their grandeur and their just power and breathtaking beauty. Or something as simple as watching a spider weave a web. All I know is that we all have experienced these moments where that unmistakable voice in our heart says, this is from God. God is real. And he wants us to know him. How do I know this? How can I say it with such confidence? Because the scripture tells us through Ecclesiastes where Solomon said, God has put eternity into the hearts of people. And so we all have experienced that. For me, it's the ocean or the mountains for sure. Uh, this summer, I had a chance to go out to the Rocky Mountains to teach a conference out there. And uh, when I came back, I told John Parker, I said, that was just so good for my soul. I don't know what it is, but every time I'm out there, it's just God, I experience him in, in great and profound ways. I like to call these places thin spots between, between earth and heaven, where we just know that God is there. And God has designed us for that, and this is what Psalm 19 is teaching us, that one of the ways God reveals himself is through the book of nature, the revelation of God through nature. The second type of revelation that theologians call uh, for or describe is called specific revelation. And I've got to pull out my glasses again. And I'd like us to continue on in Psalm 19 because the psalmist now looks at the second part. And so halfway down here, we'll pick up where it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than the, honeycomb, uh, than the honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Do you see what the psalmist has done here? The first part of the psalm is about the general revelation nature. The second part, he moves to specific revelation. He calls it the law of the Lord, and he calls it the precepts of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the ordinances. All of these are just phrases that the Old Testament uses to describe God's revelation. Now, the Greek word for this is logos. It means God's word is revealed. And the Bible teaches us that God inspired people to write down his words as his chosen way to reveal himself to us. And this is what the Psalms is telling us. Now, today, there's an explosion of just resources available, readily available for people who are looking for wisdom, who are looking for answers. 
Um, online resources like TED's, Khan Academy, lynda.com, podcasts. It's become a $350 billion industry. And it's clear that people are searching for wisdom like never before. But are people considering the Bible as one of those sources and a place to go for wisdom and insight? Well, I think culturally we'd all agree that the answer is probably not. And the problem today in our day and age is that anything that comes along claiming universal truth is going to be met with at least skepticism, if not right downright derision for standing up and being so bold as to claim moral truth. The result is, as University of Southern California, uh, Southern Cal professor Dallas Willard, and he's also a Christian author, says, he says, today, truth is in trouble. And in the university setting in particular, they'll avoid anything having to do with moral truth. So truth gets relegated simply to the observable. And this debate over moral tr truth is kind of cast aside and left to individuals and communities to debate as to how they feel people should live. And we're seeing that debate going on all around us. And so anything that claims to have this moral truth gets met with derision. And today's attacks can be quite scathing against the Bible. If I were to ask somebody, do you believe in the Bible? If they don't, it might sound like this. You really want me to read the Bible? What about all the ways the Bible's been proven to be false? I mean, the Bible is an archaic and antiquated relic that is irrelevant and downright offensive to today's modern sensibilities. It's full of misogyny, violence, and racism, and not to mention the internal inconsistencies in ways that it's been proven to be inconsistent with today's modern science. Sound familiar? That's what people are saying today, and I know it's under attack. Let me tell you, it's nothing new. It's been going on for centuries. The, today's dissenters are merely joining the chorus of doubters and skeptics who've raised their voice in every generation. The problem is, unfortunately, it keeps people, these sound bites keep people away from truly examining the scripture themselves. And one of the tragedies is for Christians who are listening in and not sure how to respond to the attacks on scripture. Another problem is it can undermine your and my confidence in the word and undermine its authority in our lives. And so we need to be vigilant. I want you to think about it for a minute. Yeah, there's great authors out there, and avail yourself of them. I'm so glad that they're just this deluge of great information just right at our fingertips. But let me ask you this. Are any of them God? Do any of them claim to have wisdom from the eternal mind of God? You see, Jesus wants to mentor you and me, and he says in his word that his word contains everything we need for life and for godliness. It's his manual for our soul. Like a lighthouse in the midst of a fierce storm, the scripture stands steadfast to send out its beacon of light to all who will heed its message. Its timeless words speak to our generation if our generation is willing to tune in. Claiming to be the very inspired words of God, it tells us that it's profitable for us for teaching, for training us, for correcting us, and for showing us where we're wrong and preparing us to live the kind of life God wants us to live. It claims to be more than a book. 
as we just sang, it claims to be living and active, cutting through our moral ambiguity, through our self-denial, and will speak to our innermost person. In times of darkness, it gives light. In times of uncertainty, we find hope. And in times of indecision, we find the direction that we need for our life. It teaches us how to have strong marriages, how to raise our children, and how to have deep and meaningful relationships. God's word also helps us answer the tough questions. Who are we? Where did we come from? What went wrong with this thing we see going on all around us? What's the answer? What's the solution? And where are we going? And most importantly, it helps us to understand and to know God personally, to understand that he has written the greatest love story ever told, that you and I, we matter to God, so much so that he was willing to relentlessly pursue us in our indifference towards him and to move aggressively towards us so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could have relationship so that we could grow into the purpose that he established when he thought up you and me. At the end of the day, we have to choose. What's the source of truth or authority for our lives? You can choose to ignore it, or you can choose to rely on your thoughts and your feelings instead. But let me ask you this morning, how's that working out for you? Don't let the attacks of others Don't let the challenges of understanding God's word keep you from diving into the very thing that God has given, that we might know him, that we might grow in relationship with him. So we have the book of nature. We have the book of scripture, which is the logos of God. But there's another part of logos. It's kind of two sides of the same coin. Another part of the specific revelation that we need to understand, and to do so, let's read John chapter 1, and starting right at the beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 4 and then 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shone into the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see what he's saying here? This is the third way that God has chosen to reveal himself. Jesus is the logos of God. Scriptures are the written word. Jesus is the living word, the two sides of the same coin. The word became a human being. So do you catch, do you see that they're one and the same? Jesus taught that the scriptures were the written word of God, and he honored their authority. And the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament is all about Jesus, helping us to recognize his authority as the one from God, the Messiah of God. Christ honors the scriptures. Scriptures honor Christ by authenticating authenticating each other's authority. They coalesce into a single fount of authority from God. In this sense, the scriptures are Bibles, And the Bibles that proclaim Christ, we can approach as one and the same. 
The implication is what I said at the beginning of the message. The implication is don't see it as time in a book. See it as time with the person of the book, as time in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I love this. Just know that every time you come to the word of God, every time you wake up in the morning and you approach God's word, God's not neutral in his feelings towards you. In Zephaniah 3.17, the Bible gives a phenomenal picture. It says, God is shouting over you with shouts of joy. I want you to picture that for a minute. You're getting the sleep out of your eyes. You're kind of walking away from the mirror. You see the word sitting there and you're, ah, do I have time? I'll pick it up. Yeah, God is shouting over you with shouts of joy. He's excited for you to come to him. This is a personal relationship with God. You matter to God. He wants to speak to you and he will speak to you as often as you'll let him. Don't let the challenges of reading scripture, don't let the challenges of feeling intimidated keep you from time with Jesus. And by the way, he's got answers to all your questions. You might not get them tomorrow, you might not get them a month from now, but you've got the answers you need. He's got them. And there's all kind of great resources. You can go online, you can kind of Google things, you can do Bible studies with other Christians. And by the way, Gary and I and the other pastors, we'd love to answer your questions. I go to Gary with my questions. He's phenomenal. He knows the word so well. And so this is something that you don't have to feel stuck. There's ways for you to get unstuck. Don't let that keep you from this relationship. Let me summarize all this with one final important thought. And it flows from this idea that we're spending time with Jesus. It's critical that we, under, we need to know that to truly understand the scriptures, we must be willing to be a doer of the word, to do what we're reading, to do what we're learning. James says in James 1.23, do not merely be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. Because if you only hear it, you could become deceived. But to truly understand is when we in humility respond by faith to God and we step out in obedience to the things that he's teaching to us. So remember, you're the follower. You're the learner. You're the disciple. He teaches, we apply. He corrects we adjust. He leads, we follow. And this is essential to your true grasping and understanding of the scriptures. Don't let what you don't understand keep you from coming. Do what you know. And this one habit, I am convinced, will profoundly change and impact your character if it's something you engage in regularly over the course of the next five years. So let me invite you to start this week. Perhaps you've been doing this. Let me just encourage you to continue on. And hopefully today gave you a little more inspiration uh, to continue with that habit. But if this is a habit that you've never engaged in or perhaps has slipped a little bit in your life, why not just wake up that habit again this week? It doesn't take a lot of time. And I would suggest starting in John, we just began to read the first part of the chapter. And you can read a chapter within three to five minutes. And so start there and let God speak to you and then cultivate this daily habit and see what happens over the course of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Indeed, it is a light into our path. And Lord, it graciously reveals to you, us to you, or you to us, 
as we read there in John, when the word became flesh, we were able to see your glory. It was no longer veiled. It was no longer hidden. It was made known. You've revealed yourself to us. And so I would pray, Lord, and I do pray that you would help each and every one of us assembled here this morning to cultivate this habit of regular time with you as you speak to us through your scriptures. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.